Okay, so we've been doing this summer faith school. And one of the, the, the key principles of this walk of faith is that we aren't trying to believe a set of scriptures or a set of promises. That's not our primary goal. It is important that we believe that what's in the word of God is true and it's accurate and it's real. But our, our primary goal is to believe the promiser that stands behind those promises. And, and, and our God is a covenant-making God. That's the way he's chosen to relate to us. He relates all through the Bible. You can see it all through the Bible. There's actually seven covenants in the Bible. And, you know, when people talk about the old covenant, the law, that's only one of the seven. And, and so we, we have a new covenant where Jesus paid the penalties under the law. He paid the cost under the law. And we have a new covenant of relationship, not law. But in relationship, that means that our faith grows by relationship. So it grows by relationship with each other. But the, the main thing I'm talking about here is real relationship with Jesus. And so often when, when we operate as Christians, we operate in a way that does church or does Christianity or, or does this, this thing that we think is Christianity, but we haven't invested in that relationship. And, and the reason that's so important when we talk about faith is you can't believe in a promise unless you know the one who stands behind the promise. You've got to know he's capable of fulfilling that promise. And you've also got to know that he, he wants to fulfill that promise. That it is his, his goal. And that, that's our God. He, he gave us these promises. He gave us these covenants so that we could know him and know what he wanted and how he wants to bless us and look after us and guide us and teach us and help us to, to grow. And, and how he wants us to keep away from all the stuff that we don't want to get into. So we believe in the promiser, not the promises. When we believe and know the promiser, then we can believe the promises. You know, believing the promises isn't just about kind of just repeating them 20 times or saying, yeah, I read that verse once. You know, believing the promises is believing the promise of putting our trust in him. Now, because our... This is just reminding you what's going on previous week. But because our God is a covenant-making God, that gives us some really kind of radical truths. And, and right at the core of that, those truths is that Jesus put you in right standing with the Father. Not based on your own merits and not based on what you can do, but on what he did for you. He did for you what you could never do for yourself. So he put you in right standing with the Father. And because you're in right standing with the Father, who is a covenant-making God, that means you have a right to see some answers of your, for your prayers that are prayed in line with that covenant. Amen? Amen. You have a right. Now, the, the enemy... He's going to try and convince you you don't have a right. And the world out there is going to try and convince you that that's just crazy. And there's even loads of Christians in the churches who are trying to convince you that, that it doesn't work like that. Well, it does work like that. Our God is a covenant-making God. If it doesn't work like that, he's a liar. And he's not a liar because he's a God who can't, he's not like man, he cannot lie. 
And so we have this covenant-making God, which means that if he said it, we have a right to see it in our lives. And, and the reason we're we kind of not seeing it is that, that this, this stuff gets in our heads and gets in our hearts that kind of convinces us either we're not good enough or he's not going to do it for us because we're not good enough. And, and so because of that, you see other people get, you know, apparently seeing amazing things in their life and you go, like, why is that not happening in my life? Well, here's the starting point. We get to know the promiser. And so we, we, we learn to relate to him. Now I've been teaching, that, so that's the first bit of what we covered in the sun. Now I've been talking about how we pray for results. There is no point whatsoever praying for no results. Like, what is the point? Now, let me, let me qualify that. I'm talking about a certain type of prayer. Prayer, in its essence, is just having a conversation with Jesus and the Father through the Holy Spirit. But there's, there's certain types of prayer that, that get talked about that help us to operate in that new covenant that we have with God. One of those, the, the, the one that's kind of right at the centre of it and we recognise most, has this technical name and it's called the prayer of petition. So whenever you see petitions, that's what it's talking about. And what's prayer of petition? Prayer of petition is about something that you are asking God for, that you are asking him to do, that you are asking him to provide. So a prayer of petition is for things like healing, it's about finances, it's about relationships, it's about health, it's about all those sort of things. So it's a specific thing. And that, that's what I'm talking about, because that's where prayer comes into it. The, the, the bigger picture of prayer, the conversation with God, that's amazing, because that's where we get to know the promiser uh, Get, understand the heart of the promiser and get to, to love him more and be loved by him more. And so that helps us to trust him. But what I'm talking about here and, and the last couple of weeks is a specific application which is called the prayer petition. And I said that I learned uh, over the years, people who've gone before me and I've, I've talked about who they are, that have used or understood how this works. And that I've been doing this, and when I do this, it works. So that there's certain things that we do and understand the way that prayer operates. And so the first of those, if you remember, who remembers what the first one is? Probably put it up. Yeah, yeah. What is it that you want? Decide what it is that you want from God and be specific in your request. Now, don't take that in isolation because you can go, oh, I want all sorts of things. Not all of them are good. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Wait till number two. But the first one is it. So when you pray, it's important to be specific um, about what you want. It's, it's not really effective to have general prayers. You know, bless my family, bless my dog, bless Auntie Sally, and bless Auntie Annie, bless Uncle Bob. And thank you, Lord, for baths and showers and food. That, that's, that, that's kind of so general that it's not really... When you get a, a waffly prayer like that, you get a waffly answer. It's not that God doesn't respond. It's just you can't recognize when he's answered it. Because God's always blessing you. God blesses people with this world, with, with food and rain and all the rest of it, according to the Bible, who don't even like him. So, so God's out to, to bless you. 
But when we pray for something, we've got to really know what it is we want. Because if we pray for nothing in particular, that's exactly what we'll get. And that's a problem with a lot of Christians' prayers. We, we, we pray for whole loads of lists of things that are kind of wish lists out there. But because it's not an immediate thing that we need to see, we never really know whether it's answered and we never really know whether we've got any faith for it or not. Because we all want the planet to be better, don't we? But it starts with God actually caring about us. So we need to be specific about what we want. We write it down, what we want. And the second thing is this. Locate two or three scriptures that promise you what you need so that you haven't got an if. Now let me just explain that. You can't have a covenant promise if it's not in the covenant. You've got to know what God has said and you've got to know how that covenant works. So you've got to find it in Scripture. Because here's a, a really important principle. Faith starts when the will of God is known. And that's where a lot of people get in problem because they don't know what God's will is in any particular circumstance. Because they don't know what Scripture says about how this covenant operates. So faith starts when the will of God is known. And so that, that's, that's where we start. So once, you've, once you find these scriptures, you, you, you write them down, stick them on your mirror in the morning or in the front of your Bible for when you open it, write them down all over the place, look at them, meditate on them, think about them. Don't just read them and file them away and go, I know it says somewhere, I've, I've read it, yeah. Because... It's like this, that I was just talking to our friends Ubel and Hella from Holland who are staying with us uh, at the moment. They arrived late last night, so they, they're having a lie-in. But we, we were saying how people uh, in, in churches, faith churches, believing churches, know that, that God wants to heal. But you ask them, like, what have you based that on? And they go, because uh, that's what we believe in our church. What we believe in our church isn't really going to get a very strong level of faith. You've got to know that God says, I'm the Lord that healeth you. You've got to know that in Isaiah it says, by his stripes we were healed. You've got to know that when Jesus was going around about healing, the, the authors of the gospel, particularly Matthew, recognized so much that Jesus was fulfilling that Old Testament promise. And he says, this is it. These people getting healed in front of you right now. That's in fulfillment of the fact that God's a healer. And that, and that Jesus went about healing all who were ill and the pest of the devil, Acts 10.38. And 1 Peter 2.24, that, that by his stripes we were healed. You see, we, when we know these things, we can let the Holy Spirit take hold of those things and that has an effect in our hearts, inside of us. But when we're bracing it on, Pastor Mark said sometime in 2014 that God wants to heal people, and because I'm in, in that church, that's what I believe, that's not really going to help you in faith. Do, do you understand? So, kind of general things that other people believe or other people say doesn't really help us. So, that's because the Holy Spirit can't bring alive to you what is somebody else's revelation. You have to have revelation for yourself. 
And revelation comes when the Holy Spirit takes hold of the word of God and you have that light bulb moment when all of a sudden it becomes real to you and, and, and it lodges itself in your heart. So that, that, that's the first two principles. Decide what you want from God. Be specific. Locate two or three scriptures that promise what you need. Okay? And write them down and meditate on them. Here's number three. Really simple one. Ask. That shouldn't be hard to remember. It's three letters. Just write it down. Number three, ask. Now, you might go, well, obviously I'm going to ask. Well, I was thinking that, that like, obviously I'm going to ask. And yet, when I was reading um, the letter of James the other day, I came across this sentence that I've, I've read loads of times, and it just dawned on me that people don't ask. Because James says in uh, James chapter 4, verse 2, he says, you don't have because you're not asking. And I'm thinking, how crazy is that? How crazy is it when, when you, you've got God who's promising to help you in your life and you don't ask? And, and that can be all sorts of reasons, I guess. I can't think of a good reason. But I was trying to get like, why wouldn't you ask? But the reality is, we don't. The reality is that most of our prayer lives are almost non-existent. Because we've, we've had this picture of prayer that we can't live up to. And so we, we need a simple approach to prayer, where it's a conversation between you and God, and you actually ask. So why wouldn't you ask? And I'm going, like, why wouldn't I ask? Why is it people don't ask apart from... Like when I don't ask because I'm being lazy or I just don't get around to it. I'm a, I mean a grump. You know, people have grumps with God. I'm good, like, the only one who can help you and you've got a grump with him. And I, I think that was really weird, except I've done it myself and I'm thinking. <laughs> but here's the thing. I think right at the heart of it, and you, you might think of other reasons, but at the heart of it, we don't ask because we're not really sure what sort of a God we're going to get in response. What, what, what's on the other end of the prayer? And, and I think that, you know, I've encountered, and I think Shell's encountered a lot more, I've encountered a lot of believers, many of whom are years and years standing as Christians, who are still really unsure in their prayers. Because they've got this picture of God where the answer to their prayer relies on him being pleased with them. And of course, we're all conscious that he's not always pleased with us. And, and in fact, most of the time, we're not very pleased with ourselves. But we're okay because we can make excuses about it. He doesn't, have the, he, he doesn't make excuses for us, but we do. But we, we have this picture that if we pray to God and we're not absolutely okay, we're not absolutely perfect, then we're not going to get an answer. And that, that seems a big problem for a lot of people. I don't, I don't know is it, if it's a problem for you. I, I, it's certainly been a problem for a lot of people I've talked to, to over the last few years. 
that it's this picture of like, how can God answer this because there's all this stuff going on in my life, stuff that I wish wasn't there, stuff that I've done, stuff that I've messed up. And, and apart from that, I haven't prayed for weeks. I haven't read my Bible for weeks. In fact, I've not been to church and Mark's nagging me, but I need to get back. And, and you're in that sort of position. You go like, you've got, I've got no chance of a prayer being answered in this place. And that, that's kind of, I think that's what James is saying. You don't have because you're not going you don't ask because you've got in that place. You've got in that place. And that produces like a, a group of believers who, who live in this sort of general I, I don't know where this is biblical word, it's probably Greek philosophy. They live in this kind of limbo land. You know, it's not really real world, and it's not really heaven. It's kind of a limbo land. And um, they, they kind of, we, we kind of live this Christianity where we're really not connected to God because of all this stuff that we're carrying around as baggage. And yet we say all the right words. Does that, does that make any sense? And so we go through the motions of Christianity and then we wonder why we're not seeing the things that we need and the things that God's promised. And, and, we, we, and, and as Christians, we've got this real good habit of when we're not seeing it, really convincing ourselves that people who do see it must be wrong. They're crazies. I, want, I need to go to a... A, 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 a group of believers, I need to be part of a, a group of believers that don't teach all this stuff and then it won't matter whether I see it or not in my life. I don't, want any, I don't need that pressure. You see, here's the problem with that. Either God said it or he and intended to keep it or he's a liar. But he said it and he intends to keep it. So our our role as believers, as disciples of Jesus, is to follow him by walking and, and, and living in such a way that we want to see our experience gradually and fully get towards what he says in the same way as the disciples walked. Who wants to walk like the disciples walk? I want to walk like the disciples walk. Who's there? Actually, we're probably okay walking a bit like the disciples walked in the first year of Jesus' ministry when they're still trying to are fishing and, and making messes of things. That's us. We've got a year in. We're okay. We've made progress. We're not complete, you know, useless. We, we're making progress, but we need to make a whole lot more progress. And I, and I keep coming back to that word from Esther about we've got to up our game on faith. We've got to up our game in trusting God because the time is short. So we, we need to, to really start pushing in on this. Here's what I think, and I was having this conversation with God, and this is years ago, and I, I was having this conversation, God, how can I expect you to answer my prayer when I've messed up so badly? Or I've messed up here, I've messed up that. And, and the response I got was, so you've messed up, deal with it. He's very gentle with me, he's God. 
I, I, I respond good to direct. So deal with it. So most of us never deal with it. We run away. Or we just put it on the back burner. We have, the, the only way we make progress on this is dealing with it. And what do I mean by deal with it? What I mean by dealing with it is instead of kind of getting in a group with God or distancing God, you go and talk to him about it and you say, God, I have messed up here. I'm asking you to help me. I, I've, I, I got it wrong. I, I've, you know, I, I've, I've sinned, I've messed up, I've screwed up, I've made the wrong decisions, I've, made, I, I've really made, had bad judgment on that. Help me, because I, I can't sort it. And even if I could sort it, I've still messed up. Now, that's the first step to getting your prayers answered. And I'm going to explain why. Okay, so this is that, that's, that's kind of the, the, the scenario. I'm going to explain why that's the first step. And you're going to go, do I really have to do that? Yes, you do, for your sake. You know, uh, people get very confused about the, the letter to John, 1 John, first letter to John, verse, chapter 1, verse 9, where it says, if we confess our sins, God, and we say this, I said this every week in the Anglican services growing up, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us up from all unrighteousness. And we say that every week. And, and I used to think, man, I must have a lot of sins if I have to say it every week. That's not the point. The point is this, that we as a generation have got really good at making excuses for our own behaviour. And so we blame it on other people. We blame it on our upbringing. We blame it on our parents or lack of parents. We blame it on cultural factors. We blame it on going to the wrong school. We blame it on being bullied, all that sort of thing. Now, that's not to say they're not real. The question is, how do you get help with what that's produced? And you get help with what that's produced by being honest with God and saying, I have done wrong. And God says, Right, now we can deal with the things that cause you to do wrong. Because now you're not making an excuse. Now I can cleanse you and heal you and set you free because you're prepared to be honest with me instead of just trying to make excuses. I mean, this is God we're talking to. He knows it's an excuse. He, know, he, like, he knows the history. And so, so we do that. So when we, so, just forgive me this one. It's just <laughs> dropped into my head. It's in the dealing with it that's the healing of it. So we deal with it with God and he can heal it. Now, there's another factor at play here in this relationship. And that's the stuff that says, God can't forgive that. He didn't hear you. You're too bad. Maybe he's forgiven you a little bit. And maybe you'll get a little bit of an answer to your prayer. That's not true. That's not the God that we believe in. That's the God that our enemy, the accuser, presents to us. And he convinces us that's the real God. 
but it's not. You see, when we approach God in prayer, we meet a father who's got arms spread wide open to welcome us. He's not pushing us away. You know, all, all the stuff, all the bad stuff was paid for by Jesus. And, and, and God's aim isn't to push us away. It's not to, like, get you in front of him so he can beat you up. It's to get you in front of him so he can heal you and, and, and set you free of that stuff. And he understands just where we're at. He understands what we've done. Uh, he understands where our thoughts have run away to. I, I, does anybody else have thoughts that run away? Mine run away all the time. Chelsea says, Mark, Mark, listen to me. I'm going, oh, where have, they, where have I gone? My thoughts run away all over the place. And here's the thing, uh, that despite knowing all of that, God loves you. He's not some sort of crazy, doting idiot with a long beard who drools at the mouth and has to love you. He's not like deceived. He knows every single thing about you and yet he loves you. And he says, come to me, then we can sort it. Then we can heal it. Then we can like, make it right. I can, he, he's the only one that can sort out the stuff in your heart. And the only place you will find him is face to face with him in prayer. And, and so when we know we've got that sort of relationship with God, we also know that without doubt we can be real with him. You see, this is a key to faith. Faith is played out and worked out in reality. And in the reality of us being real. Not these little masks that we wear, but the reality of us being real. We can be completely open with him because his desire is that we invite him into every area of our lives so he can help us and heal us and change us in those areas of our lives. There's just this amazing verse in Hebrews, Hebrews 4.16. It says this, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amazing verse. So what that tells us is, is three things that I want to focus on. Firstly, it tells you that the throne of grace is open to every believer. It's not a throne of accusation, it's a throne of grace. But, this is what some people miss. This is why some people go off on tangents when they talk about grace and stuff. You initiate the process. You have to come to the throne of grace. You, you have to come and be real. And if you'll come and be real, then you obtain, this is where mercy is. You've got to get to the throne of grace by being real with God to obtain mercy. Because this, remember, it's not religion, it's not rules, it's relationship. So we're going to God. And we obtain mercy. What's mercy? Mercy is not getting what you deserved. Who doesn't want what they deserve? And then, 
we, what else do we get? We, when we're there, when we, when we don't get what we deserve, and that's a surprise to us, we find grace to help us. So we, we, we get mercy and we find grace. So we find what we need to help us. We find the God who will keep his promises. We will find the God who loves us. We will find the God who wants to heal us. We'll find the God who sets us free. Let me show you this really famous story. I don't know if you, you've ever seen it like this before. Parable of the, the kind of prodigal son. Yeah? Everybody, most people know this parable. Two sons, one, the, one goes to the father and says, I want my inheritance now. I'm not waiting for you to die. I just want it now, and I'm going to go off and spend it. And it, and it all get, turns out bad for him. Yeah? So he doesn't want anything to do with the father. He doesn't want anything to do with the brother. Goes off, makes a mess of his life. That's everybody who doesn't know Jesus. And some of us who do know Jesus and have been a bit stupid with it. Yeah? So here we go. I will arise. This is Luke chapter 15. I will arise and go to my father. So I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against you, against heaven. I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. There he is. He's going and he's been real with God. And he's saying, sin is sin. I've done it. He's not saying, Dad, I did all this because you, you just used to wind me up when I was a kid and used to annoy me and I hated my brother and that's why I took the inheritance and it's all your fault. And it's everybody else's fault because I was bullied as a kid. And all this sort of stuff. He doesn't do that. He says, I've got it wrong. I've sinned. And then he says, and he rose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. That's the God you meet when... You go real. And the son said to him, Father, sorry, just that word compassion. So this is the father. This is Jesus describing God, his father. So Jesus, I think, knew God the father better than anybody else who's ever walked on planet Earth. Yeah? And he said, this is the way God's going to react in this situation. He's going to react from compassion. Now, when you look up what that word compassion is a translation of, it's a translation of a word that says a yearning in the depth of your bowels. Means he did, you know, like that pain you get when you just love somebody and, and they're not there. That's what, that's what that word is. So he ran and he fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. No longer worthy to be called your son. He's right. He isn't worthy in the world or any stretch of imagination or any kind of adding up score. He is not worthy to be called the son. You know, when, when they used to take the inheritance in those days, what, it, what he was actually doing to the father was saying, I wish you were dead because I don't want you in my life. He's not worthy to be called. He's absolutely right. 
He's calling it right. That, that, because that isn't the outcome though. It doesn't finish there. He's not left, not being worthy to be called his son, even though that's true, because he's gone real with God and he gets mercy. He doesn't get what he deserves. He's gone to the throne of grace and he gets mercy. He's got a correct assessment of where he is, but he gets mercy. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatty calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this is my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. So this, this son who wasn't worthy to be called a son gets a ring, a robe, sandals, a fatty calf and a party. So he finds grace. Remember what it said in Hebrews? We come boldly before the throne. And we get mercy and we find grace. That's what happened to the prodigal son. You know, he, this son, he felt he was no longer worthy to be a son. And, and he reasoned that the best I'm going to get from the father is being a slave, working with the pigs again. And I'm willing to do that because it's better than where I was. You see, when we go to God, we don't get what we deserve. We get mercy. And we give him what we don't deserve, which is grace. And grace is what causes or provides the things we need. See, grace is what Jesus paid for at the cross. So grace provides the answer to those prayers. Grace took the penalties. Grace took the punishments. Grace took the consequences. And so we inherit the blessing under a new covenant. And that's grace. Grace is what Jesus did. And the way we take hold of grace is faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So we, we take hold of grace through faith. You see, this father... He'd been so wronged, he'd been so hurt, he'd been so insulted. And yet he didn't give the son what the son expected. He gave him what he didn't expect. That's the God you meet when you ask him for what you need. That's why we need to know the word. Because the word tells us what the promise is like. You know, once the son made the decision to come towards God and move towards him, or move towards the father, in our case God, once he makes that decision, now, this is really important, the son initiates. 
God, God didn't go and get the son. He let him have free will. But God, the son initiates. And when we initiate in prayer, then God comes running towards us. Then. And that's where we find mercy and that's where we find grace. James puts it like this. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Now, if you did the John Brevere course earlier in the year, you, you, know, you know that verse off by heart. James 4, verse 8. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. So who determines the amount of your relationship with the Father? You do. We, we, we don't have a passive Christianity where God kind of pushes it on us. If we just stand still, nothing happens. If we just stand still, we don't grow. We don't encounter God. We just stand still. And then we go, this is really boring, this church stuff, isn't it? Well, that's because it's church stuff you're talking about. And that's because it is just stood in the same place year after year after year, not knowing Jesus, not encountering, not having a, that, that real relationship with him he yearns for, and not understanding that the moment you, you run towards him, he's coming for you. And he's coming for you with love. And he's coming for you with arms open wide. And he's coming for you with grace. And this is the truth. That he understands. So we don't have to have any fear. He understands exactly how you're feeling. You've got no need to hide. No need to hold things back. Because he's not out to get you. He's out to bless you and love you. And we've got to understand that. That's the core foundation of faith. He's seeing God for who he is. You know, uh, when Hebrews is talking about Jesus, it, put the, the, it puts Jesus in that same mindset. And it says this, We do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus hit everything that we hit. He knows what it's like. He knows how hard it is not to just give in. So we, we don't have to be holding back. You know, the Father gets it, Jesus gets it, the Holy Spirit, who searches all things, gets it. And their response is they were waiting right there to help you. All you need to do is ask. So when we put all this together, what does it look like to pray in this fashion? Because a lot of what we might experience or have seen growing up or whatever is actually old covenant prayer. It's not prayer that's birthed in relationship. It's not prayer... That, that understands that we have covenant rights. It's not prayer that really understands that God will respond in the way I've just described. So we kind of need to re relearn a little bit. And, and, you know, I know that there's people who know this in our church and, and pray like this. But we all want to pray like this because we all want to see results. You know, that effective prayer of the... Righteous man that availeth much. 
I still can't get it in a modern translation. It's lodged in my head in King James, is that one. But here's, let, let's stand. So what I want you to do is I'm going to go through a prayer, and you can say it after me. Can I, can I have the worship team back up? Is that okay? And we're just going to uh, kind of walk through a prayer, and I'll, um, I'll ask Jules to send this out this week, then you've got kind of, you'll be able to see it and you'll be able to give it to people that weren't here and stuff like that. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through a prayer that I think is a new covenant prayer. Based on what I've, just, what I've been teaching you the last few weeks. Now I want you to think you remember a couple of weeks ago, I asked you to write down what is it specifically you want God to do. I want you to think of that thing right now. If you weren't here, you've got to think really quickly of what it is you want God to do in your life, right? Okay? So, yeah. So, precious, think of something right now that you need God to do in your life. Something specific. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to pray. So I'll say it, and you pray after me. It's long, okay? So pace yourself, Phil. Long because <laughs> I'm going to walk through this process. Ready, Father? I th- I haven't done that bit yet. <laughs> Let's start again. Father, I thank you that you've made me to be part of your family. That I am your accepted son or daughter in Christ. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, I know that I can come boldly before your throne of grace. And in my need, you will help me. I know I've messed up at times. I'm being real with you, Jesus. I am so sorry. So I place my trust in you and not in my own merits. Okay, we're doing good. Father, you know all my needs before I ask. You know every situation I face before I tell it. So I come now to seek your wisdom on what I am facing. I come to seek your guidance. To know what steps to take. I come to see my problem from your perspective. Your word says that if I call on you, you will answer. Your word given through John shows me that if I ask anything according to your will, you hear me.
If I ask anything according to your will, you hear me. And if I know that you hear me, whatever I ask, I know that I have the petitions that I asked of you. Because I know this, then I have confidence you are hearing my prayer right now. And that you are about to help me. So, Father, I bring my need before you. Name that need right now. You need to name it specifically, remember. And I ask that you will guide my steps and show me the direction to take as you meet that need. You've declared yourself to be my provider. You have said you will meet my needs according to your riches in heaven. I know you're not limited by my need. I know you don't meet that need according to that need. But from your abundance in riches... In the name of Jesus, I declare that I am who you say I am. And that I can have what you say I can have. So right now, I'm believing you when you told me that when I pray, I should believe and receive as I speak to my mountain so mountain of name that need so mountain of I say to you that my father right now is hearing my prayer and I know that if he hears it then I have what I ask so mountain right now you be cast into the sea mountain right now you get out of my life because my answer is on the way in Jesus name Amen Amen thank you Jesus glory to you Jesus praise you let's give him praise